and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe podcast. Friends, we're doing something a little odd here. Ahsoka has been released, but the strike is still on. And I gave a lot of thought to this, and part of me thought, you know what, I'm just going to wait until the strike is over, and then I'm going to watch Ahsoka. That was never going to happen. And then I thought, I'm going to watch Ahsoka, but I'll keep all of my thoughts to myself, and then wait to record about it when the strike is over. That's not going to happen. So instead, I realized we're recording episodes right now as the Ahsoka episodes come out, but then these are going to be placed deep in the bunker, far below Ethical Panda Mountain, in a secret layer, and will not be released until after the strike ends. So we're recording this right after it's seen, but hopefully you're listening to this pretty soon, because we hope the strike ends soon. But either way, I'm here with two awesome Star Wars experts, uh, Danielle, written in the Star Wars, and Erin, Lady Tano creates herself, to talk about this awesome show. And so, uh, Danielle and Erin, welcome. Um, Danielle, let's start with you. How are we doing on Ahsoka Day 1? I'm great. I'm tired <laughs> because now I'm the person who has to get up uh, at 2 a.m. or stay up until 2 a.m. to watch to watch uh-huh. the Star Wars show. Um, so I am very tired right now, but I'm doing great. I had a great time. Nice. And Aaron, how about yourself? Yeah, I'm doing great. Chilling. I was supposed to watch it last night and then I got distracted with cosplay things. So I watched it this morning while Fair. still doing cosplay things. <laughs> I-, I was going to say. Fair enough. Fair enough. So what do we think so far? We're two episodes in. Uh, Disney released two episodes, which given the ending of episode one, I think they would have had a riot on the internet. Uh, so I'm very glad they released both. How are we feeling overall? I feel good about it. Um, I had a I had a good time watching it. I, I mean, there's lots of stuff I'm sure we'll talk about throughout uh, this episode, but I really enjoyed all of the acting. I enjoyed um, the storyline. I really mm-hmm. like that it's very clear from the beginning what the storyline of this season is going to be. Uh, I think it set it up really well. Yeah, I've really, I really enjoyed those first two episodes, especially like Sabine. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Natasha Bordizo, I think is how you say her last name, or something like that. It's incredible. Like her Sabine is spot on. Like it didn't even nice. feel like a different character in any way, shape, or form. And like Hera too. I just, like, I'm really loving seeing these characters come to life in a way that is so genuine and accurate to their cartoon counterparts. And don't worry, for those who haven't watched it in a while, we will do a quick plot summary in a minute. But just talking about the overall feel of it, I thought the way that they are doing an homage to Rebels, you know, which all all these characters come from, in many ways, it's kind of Rebels Season 5. And at one point, I do hope to get a guest on who hasn't seen Rebels, because I am curious how much is going over their heads. But the way they, from getting someone like the, the voice actor who played, uh, um, uh, not Ooh, Ezra Rizzotti, uh, Rizzotti, uh, what's his name? Oh, Governor um, Rizzotti. Governor Rizzotti, thank you, forget his first name. You know, the same voice actor playing him in live action to that painting, that, that it was such a wonderful way of remembering the art from Rebels by having someone having done a painting of these live action characters that was so clearly like barely changed from the rebels art to uh Aaron as you said getting David Tennant back to play Hu Yang uh who's a little bit in rebels mostly a great character from Clone Wars it just felt like that they went they went so above and beyond to really make this feel so familiar to rebels fans mm-hmm. I agree it was really nice um it, you can tell that 
that Dave Filoni is behind it. I mean, he was behind Rebels, mm-hmm. too, and he loves Rebels, which is why I was never concerned about the way that Rebels was going to transfer over um, the Rebels characters and the Rebels feel, because, I mean, Dave Filoni's behind that. Like, Rebels is his baby. He's not going to do anything mm-hmm. that that damages its reputation or anything. Yeah. It's funny. There's one moment in particular, like, the, the painting really hit me hard. So hearing some of the voices hit me hard, but it was when Sabine is doing her, you know, riding a motorcycle, listening to heavy metal in the Star Wars universe, which I'm very glad that we have a musical <laughs> alternative to uh, Love Max Rebo, but I have some new musical styles. And she's riding on just this like long highway through desert with this stuff, like these awning things covering her. And it was just such a gut punch because I've seen that highway so many times. Like, that one moment especially, there's no need they had to give us exactly that. But for some reason, that road moment hit me as just like, yeah, this this is being so true to Lothal and Rebels and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. I got really emotional seeing Lothal uh, in live action. It was kind of like we've seen it in the trailers. And so I kind of forgot that we'd never seen Lothal in live action before. And uh, mm. so finally getting like full scenes with that was really emotional for me because I love I love it so much. Yeah, that highway was really cool to see because it is such a staple. I feel like especially in the first season of Rebels, just so much happens mm-hmm. on it. Yeah. And it's just fun to be like, yeah, it is still commonly used. Like, of course, Sabine's still pulling tricks on this highway like she used to. Right. Well, and it's funny because now that I think of it, it, what you got is Sabine going away while the others are trying to, like, catch up to her and be like, hey, Sabine, you're supposed to be back in the fall. Didn't, it, didn't we see in, like, the first episode Ezra, like, going away on that highway and then the rest of the rebel crew kind of catching up to him? Yeah, because he had up? stolen something from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that alone was like a nice little mirror moment. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's start talking about the show itself and the characters and the like. Can one of you give me a brief uh, just plot arc of what, what, what happened in these two episodes? Well, in the beginning, um, we, we are introduced to the kind of New Republic. Oh, we get a cool opening crawl. First opening crawl mm-hmm. um, for any Star Wars yeah. show. Yeah. So I that was... I have something was, to say about that. So do I. <laughs> but we'll say that oh. in a minute. Yep. Um, but anyway, so it starts on a New Republic ship, I believe. Does mm-hmm. it start there? Um, yeah. I actually, oh my god, I can't remember. We're going to have to scrap this part. No, it does. <laughs> it no, does a it. ship comes into screen right as the credit Okay, end. okay. So we, you can be brief. You don't have to go into every detail by any means. Yes, okay. So we're introduced to two Force users uh, who have reddish lightsabers uh, who mm-hmm. attack a New Republic ship. And um, we find out very quickly that on that ship is um, Morgan Elsbeth, who we last met in... Um, Mandalorian season two when we first saw mm-hmm. live action Ahsoka and then uh, throughout various uh, events Ahsoka finds a um, ancient temple where there is a um, not a holocron but it's kind of like a little puzzle map that she's been looking for and mm-hmm. she can't open it so she goes in search of to find Sabine on Lothal and recruit her help as her former apprentice and if anyone wants to take it from there. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I, I gave you no warning. Thank you for picking it up. Yeah. So Sabine, um, 
uh, Sabine and uh, Sabine and Ahsoka clearly have some tension. They're not really sure where they're feeling at each other, and and we get notified that uh, at one point uh, Ahsoka had been training Sabine in the use of the Force to become maybe a Jedi, etc. Sabine though winds up taking the map and kind of running away on her own. She, uh, they're both very interested, in, 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 we find out, in finding Ezra, who was part of their Rebels crew a while ago, and who we know, we know, but also we learn um, that him and Thrawn are th- supposedly in the same place, um, because they, they both, like, were basically kidnapped by, Perg- by space whales at the end of the <laughs> Rebels TV show. It sounds ridiculous, I promise it is, but it's also awesome. Uh, and in there is a message from Ezra, as well as some information on how to find them. Uh, Sabine, though, has, has gone off on her own. Uh, these rebel droids, uh, sorry, these imperial droids come and, uh, the same ones that we earlier saw, um, Ahsoka kick ass on, they fight with Sabine, uh, and we also get one of those two dark side force users, uh, named Shin. We see Sabine has a lightsaber, uh, the two of them fight. Shin stabs Sabine in a very Obi-Wan-ish, in a very Qui-Gon Jinn-ish form of stabbing, which Mm -hmm. I'm sure we're going to have some words on. Sabine crumples to the floor, and episode one ends. Um, Episode two opens, and very quickly we see that, actually, Sabine is fine. She's in the hospital. (laughs) She's getting backed, but she's going to live. And there's lots of recrimination between Ahsoka and... Sabine about you know why did they stop training whose fault it was etc the map is gone we get more adventures we see that Morgan is now working directly with those two dark side force users uh Balin Scroll and Shin Hatai or Shin Hati and the three of them are all trying to find Thrawn which they believe is going to be the best thing to do to make the return of the Empire uh meanwhile the uh our heroes are trying to figure out how to get the uh the, the map back and what they need to do. Hera gets involved and is talking to both Ahsoka and to Sabine and trying to get the two of them to, you know, work together for a while. They find, uh, they catch up with the uh, Imperial 2.0s and almost catch them in a great space battle, which we get at the return of Chopper, everyone's favorite war criminal, uh, adorable droid. They still, though, get away and at the end of the episode sees Sabine... Once again, making the uh, making the choice to rejoin Ahsoka and saying that she's ready. And in doing it, she really connects with her Mandalorian heritage. She cuts her hair in a way that's very significant because we saw another character cut their hair as part of their return to the Jedi, although their name was not dropped, which has caused quite a lot of annoyance for myself, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, and then the two of them fly off with Ahsoka referring to Sabine as Padawan. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think there's one or two things we can talk about. Uh, let's start with that opening scrawl because yes. uh, clearly people had some feelings on it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So the opening scroll and the description of the episode, what the heck? They say former Jedi Knight Ahsoka Tano. Jedi Knight who? Um. When was she ever a Jedi Knight, bro? <laughs> See, I, I excuse it. I excuse it because um, they did tell her that before she left the Order – that um, everything she went through in the wrong Jedi arc was were her trials, and so if she, yeah. it was understood that if she came back, if she even if even though Anakin was handing out her Padawan uh, Silka beads, uh, if she came back, she would probably be immediately knighted um, 
as a Jedi Knight. So I excuse it. I excuse it in that in that sense. Um, yeah. But <laughs> my biggest thing with the scroll is that I've been I've had this idea since Tales of the Jedi came out, Ahsoka's episodes mm-hmm. for that. Um, in her first episode with little baby Ahsoka, um, it it starts out in space. And then it pans down to the planet, to Shilly. And in the way that the movies often do, the movies just start with space and then pan to whatever uh, they're mm-hmm. starting with. And I kind of had the idea that maybe that was a way of kind of situating Ahsoka into the Skywalker saga more firmly. Mm. Um, and so this opening scroll happening for this show being the... F- first show, first Star Wars show to have an opening scroll, uh, kind of made me feel like that was also the intention, mm-hmm. perchance, um, on Dave Filoni's part to be like, even though she wasn't in the movies, Ahsoka is very much a part of this story, and she has yeah. been for a very long time, and she belongs here. She, Her story matters to this just as much mm-hmm. as anyone else's. She is a part of the Skywalker legacy. And I really liked that. So that made me a little bit, yeah. Yeah. a little bit emotional. But yeah, the Jedi That's Knight a- thing is funny. I don't know why. <laughs> they could have just said former Jedi. Yeah. Katano, but <laughs> I, yeah. I, I want to comment on both of those. First, just on the scroll itself. Yeah, I, I, I really loved it, especially because I, I think if they did an interesting thing where you're right, it ties it into those the, the Skywalker movies in a way. But also the scroll wasn't the yellow big text that kind of goes back at a diagonal. It was red, and in a, the, both the font and the color, we haven't seen a scrawl, but we have seen text as intro to an episode's freak in the Clone Wars. And it was, mm-hmm. I, I saw someone had checked this, the exact same font and oh, color as okay. when the Clone Wars scroll, when the Clone Wars text went red. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it was kind of a nice way of bridging those two of being like it's Skywalker, but it's also Clone Wars Rebel stuff. Can can I also say I don't know if this is what you were going to say, Matthew, about the Jedi Knight thing. They call Obi Wan a Jedi Knight in the scroll to the Phantom Menace. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I mean, it's, it's just that- a, it's just a. Oh. <laughs> I kind of view mm. it as like a quirky Star Wars thing. See, what True. I was actually going to say is. We did see in Rebels that Kanan was a Padawan, but that he basically goes through this kind of like Force Temple thing with like the spirits of the Force Guardians who he encounters, and they declare him a Jedi Knight, and that maybe Ahsoka went through something similar. Um, I have some thoughts on Ahsoka's whole relationship to the Jedi in general, which we'll definitely get to. But yeah, it was it to me. It just felt very like a return to home. Yeah. I'll also say I really like that they opened with uh, Morgan Elsbeth because to me that also answered a very big question, which is when exactly in time is this happening? Because I remember there had been like I granted I've not seen the trailers, but I wasn't sure exactly when this was supposed to be taking place. Um, you know, the scroll tells us the Galactic Empire, but like, is it earlier? Is it later? And since Morgan Elsbeth was captured in Mandalorian season two. We now know that this is happening fairly soon, and, and this is her like transport home. We know this is her being. Tr- this is fairly soon after that, and mm-hmm. I really like that. Just to be like, okay, that's a. Without saying it, that's a very clear way to tell me exactly where in time we are. Yeah, yeah. good point. Speaking of Elsbeth, mm-hmm. I've got a few things to say. Go um, for it. I forgot my first one, but 
what's this about her being a night sister? Yeah. Because last I checked, she's not Dathomirian. She's not a Zabrak. Well, she could be Dathomirian, but she's not a Zabrak. That's for sure. Right. No, but I, I would assume that she is just a part of the night like sisters. trained. The, yeah. the night sisters aren't um, aren't Zabrak either. Yeah. So well, they some of them are. Like Ventress so, is officially a Zabrak. Is she? Yeah, just they're Dathomirian Zabraks, so they don't have the horns. Oh, I thought even Dathomirian Zabraks had horns. The males yeah. do. I don't know. It's very confusing. Because I, I, yeah. I just, I had assumed that the Night Sisters were a separate um, species to the Zabraks, to their brothers, brothers in so, quotation marks. Um, she is now listed as a uh, Dathomirian. She is. My understanding is that during Legends canon, there was this idea of like. There was an all-male race and an all-female race that both lived on Dathomir and mm-hmm. kind of interacted a bit, but mm-hmm. were very separate. And yeah, I I, I think the canon the, the canonicity of who exactly is or isn't a night sister is very up in the air. Yeah, yeah, because we've not yeah. explored it much. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I know I knew there had been um, questions about that in the because the trailer showed the scene where she pulls up the map. Uh, and you could mm-hmm. see like some of the green smoke that always happens when the Night Sisters use their mm-hmm. magic, um, yep. and I was like, "Oh, I wonder. I thought that would be that would be kind of interesting." And then they said it right away on this. Mm-hmm. Very cool. I like that we're getting a little bit more lore about that. Yeah, I, I'm definitely enjoying it. It does. I would say in general, there's a lot of parts of this that kind of made me raise an eyebrow about how it fits in with some other canon stuff. But like, I was enjoying it so much that I didn't care too much. Mm-hmm. But that moment about her being uh, a night sister, you know, having read all of Ventress's angst that she's the last night sister, it did kind of raise a bit of an eyebrow. But I was like, okay, okay, we'll we'll just kind of move along here. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's the same thing with Jedi, where it's like Luke is the last Jedi. Except yeah. for these other 50 Jedi. Yeah. Right. Ventress and, is the last Jedi. Except for Marin. Yeah. Except like for Elspeth. We already have Marin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it was, it was interesting because um, this talked about how the Night Sisters had different, like, strongholds throughout the galaxy. And mm. I don't, I, in my, like, in my mind, it isn't that far of a stretch to think that there were, that Dathomir wasn't the only place that the Night Sisters mm. existed, and that they yeah. had smaller outposts—not not really outposts, but smaller like communities across the galaxy. Yeah. Um, and so that's I mean, I that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that was my my thinking of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely like that idea. I mean, it's a weird thing because on the one hand, I always hated the idea that like the Jedi and the Sith are the only Force users, and that. I always like when we see more people using the Force in in different ways. That's why I love the Dark Sisters, and I hated the idea that they had just been wiped out entirely during the Clone Wars. It it does raise questions because Ventress certainly thinks she's the only one, but you know I I can definitely see an idea of that those Night Sisters groups lost touch with each other long ago, and so Ventress mm-hmm. just didn't know about some of the others. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, I would also love to hear Morgan name drop Ventress because she's another amazing character, and I'd love to hear her come up. But or like Talzin, could you name drop old yeah. Daka? <laughs> mm-hmm. What I yeah. what I also wonder is like, do all the Night Sisters like call each other? Like I know it's in the name Night Sisters, but like, would they necessarily view all of each other as like you know call each other 
sisters. sisters yeah. And so when right. when Ventress says, I'm I'm the last of my sisters, is she meaning the last of her home? The death of more yeah. essentially, and not so right. much of her species. Right. Well, because that's the real question is oh sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I think that's pretty valid because like like you were saying, it's like a family, it's like a colony. I feel yeah. like you were saying there could be other communities of Night Sisters, but it would make sense that they view and use their magics differently. And maybe that's mm-hmm. why Ventress didn't connect with any of them, because they're kind right. of using a separate part of the force and of the magic. Mm-hmm. Or they shouldn't know about each other. Yeah, I think yeah. both are. I, I think, like, on the one hand, I would love it if Morgan talks about growing up and knowing Talzin and knowing Ventress. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, I think it raises a whole bunch of other questions. Speaking of name drops that didn't happen, um, you know, I think there was a lot of frustration with some other shows of names that seemed to be important that weren't mentioned, in particular during Obi-Wan when the name um, Satine never came, never came up. Did it feel weird to you that in all these conversations that three people who had been so essential to the Rebels crew, well, two people and then also Ahsoka, Talking about talking to Sabine about be, be, possibly becoming a force user again or anything like that, that the name Karen, Kanan Jarrus was never mentioned. Do you know, I didn't, it didn't bother me that much. And I think mm-hmm. it's because there were very direct references to him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like, it didn't feel like they were hedging around saying his name like it did with Satine in, um, in Mandalorian season three. Yeah. Uh, it felt like like that whole scene with Sabine cutting her hair is mm-hmm. action for action, literally flipping her hands and meditating and taking the time to center herself and then cutting is literally Kanan. And, yeah. um, and so it's like if you haven't watched Rebels, then you don't know. But if you have, then that is very clearly like Kanan is there in that moment, even if mm-hmm. his name isn't being said. And if there ever comes a moment where they're mentioning every single other person of, of the ghost crew of the specters and they don't mention him, then I would be like, okay, what the hell's going on? But they show him in the mural. I assume eventually we're going to see Jason probably (laughs) going to have to Mm -hmm. figure out whose dad, who who his dad is. Um, And so I, I, I have, faith right now that his name mm-hmm. will be mentioned or he will be alluded to in a more direct manner. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not upset yet. Yeah, I yeah. agree. I felt like in the first two episodes, there's so much else that we're introducing people to. Like you could mm-hmm. name drop, but anyone who hasn't seen Rebels is like, cool, this means nothing. Yeah. Whereas like, <laughs> yeah. if you show them this painting, you show them this portrait, this is what the squad was. You don't know really who the purple guy is. You don't really know who the tall guy is, but you know that they were all a family and they're important. So I yeah. think it's a, they're maybe doing like a subtle way of introducing people to the whole rebel squad instead of being like, here's five new characters and all their history. Learn, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That That's probably very fair. I think... <clears throat> I was feeling it especially from Hera since, you know, she was in love with him and, and mm-hmm. quite possibly has a child from him. And and for her to talk about, like, using the Force without mentioning him just felt off. To, as, as well, as she's, she's a very kind of happy character in this, which mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I think people can have a terrible loss and then years later be doing a lot better for sure. It's not that I want to see her, like, you know, rending her garments or whatever. <clears throat> but, yeah, it just felt – I kept being, like – like like Kanan, right? Like Kanan. But I, I think you are right that from a storytelling standpoint, it might have been too much. Well, I was also 
really happy that she wasn't miserable. Like she wasn't sad because very much because agree. it's been. <clears throat> I think it's we're around like nine uh, ABY right about mm-hmm. now ten mm-hmm. ABY. So it's been ten years since Kanan's death, and and time doesn't necessarily make you miss someone any less, but I think it does take away a bit of the edge and. Yeah. And, and she has, like, and also, like, we haven't, like, we know who Jason is because we've watched Rebels, mm-hmm. but people who haven't watched Rebels and have just watched Ahsoka so far don't know who Jason is. And right. his name wasn't even mentioned yet. So that's why I'm, like, I'm giving it, I'm still at the point where I'm, like, we've not been introduced to this character yet, so it doesn't really make mm-hmm. sense to introduce mm-hmm. the other one. So, yeah, I'm giving, I'm giving it a, um, I'm giving it a break for now. Yeah. Right. yeah. If we and, get to the end of the show and his name is never mentioned, will you feel differently, do you think? Uh, I guess it depends on how they approach talking about him because you can talk about mm-hmm. a character and not say their name. Um, but yeah, I think I would be a little let down if they don't say his name directly, even yeah. in passing or something. <clears throat> but I don't think I would be, it wouldn't be like Satine because again, I don't feel like he's being intentionally left out the way that mm-hmm. Satine, it felt yeah. with Satine and Padme too. <laughs> That drove me crazy. Yeah. I'm like, how are you sitting here talking about how to be a good leader and you're not even addressing your sister? How, like, how are you, what's how are you going talking on? about your father and not who, who yeah, wasn't even father? the last ruler of Mandalore? Whatever. Nobody cares about him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So much of that. So much of that. And yeah, exactly. Um, well, and so let's talk. Like I said, for me, like Gareth Zabarilius is far and away my favorite character in Rebels. I'm totally fine, though, if he never gets mentioned. For me, the reason why I thought Kanan would get mentioned is is because they're talking about Sabine being a Force user. So let's talk about that. How did we feel about uh, Sabine with a lightsaber and Sabine being a Force user who's being trained by Ahsoka? I... Because I I went back and forth on whether she was going to be or not. Um, Mm -hmm. But, like, going back and watching Rebels, there are, like, there, there are subtle, like hints towards it like that she could be in the future and i think they intentionally left that like if they ever went back and did that then they could they had that option to be like yeah we kind of pointed at it over here yeah um but i i kind of i i like it because it gives ahsoka someone to mentor Mm -hmm. and that someone is another woman and we so rarely, so rarely get master and apprentice relationships explored between two women. And yeah. um, and I love that. And I was thinking about, like, you know, we call them the, the disaster lineage, the <laughs> Anakin and Obi-Wan and, and Dooku mm-hmm. and everyone and Qui-Gon. And I realized, like, Ahsoka was the first woman in that lineage. And now we have the first master and apprentice uh, woman pair. And I really, I really like that. I think it allows for a lot of exploration into Ahsoka's character because I feel like in Rebels, she got kind of cast as this like all knowing, all wise mm-hmm. character who didn't really have a lot of nuance except when it came mm-hmm. to Anakin. And yeah. I feel like that's really like pigeonholing a female character and especially like attaching her to a male character. And, um, with this, she's allowed to have nuance on her own. She's allowed to have um, some some not so great qualities about herself, like come out, like we all do, because she is, mm-hmm. you know, she's a person. She has feelings, and yeah. and I like what this dynamic is kind of bringing out of her. Yeah, I 
I wasn't sure when I saw the trailers. I was like, okay, Sabina's a Force user. Like, I know, like, Kanan told, taught her how to use, like, the Darksaber and stuff, but I was just kind of like, eh. So I loved that Huang roasted her. Yeah. And was like, all the Padawans I've ever met, you're less talented yeah. and connected to the Force <laughs> than them. And that made me feel good. I was like, okay, so I'm not crazy for being like, I didn't really see this coming. Yeah. But, like, I appreciate that because, you know, as they've said through this entire Star Wars saga, like, the Force is in all of us. It runs mm-hmm. through everyone. Even people who aren't overly sensitive still have a connection. So, like you were saying, putting in those, like, little nuances throughout Rebels and such where it's like, uh, she could be, like, she's a little more aware. But, of course, it's not to the point where Ezra or Kanan would have ever noticed her connection to the Force, because it's not strong like it would be for a normal Padawan. Right. So I like that they had that clarification, but that, like you said, Ahsoka's like, I don't know, and I like it, because Ahsoka's not a Jedi anymore. She's Mm -hmm. not really a part of the Order, so why would she need to train a Force-sensitive apprentice? Why couldn't she just pick an apprentice? So I kind of like how that's looking, where it's like the Force is still going to be a part of it, but it's not mm-hmm. like, oh, suddenly she's force sensitive and super powerful and nobody knew. Yeah. It yeah. kind of it kind of seems like because we haven't even seen her use the force yet, except for like yeah. I assume like her dreams are kind of, you know, like the force is influencing them a little bit, has a little bit of influence yeah. in them. But yeah, so I I, I did wonder, like, is this gonna be like Ahsoka's nurturing what's there, but that doesn't mean it's gonna grow into something bigger. And and right. like you said, it makes a good pair for them. Like you know, yeah. it's, this isn't the Jedi right. Order. It doesn't need to be the way that it was. Mm-hmm. And certainly, because I think one thing, I, I imagine some people who haven't seen Rebels might go, what do you mean we haven't seen her use the Force? We saw her use a lightsaber. Oh, yeah. But one of the a big plot points in Rebels is that they find the Darksaber. Mm-hmm. And she, like, she at one point is one of the first wielders of the of the Dark, not first in its history, but in the, what we've seen. And there's some great scenes of Kanan trying to train her to use the Darksaber from the perspective that, as far as the two of them know, she's not a Force user. Mm-hmm. And I did notice that she is... Like, I I loved that the fight scene between her and Shin, they were both not great at yeah. using... They, yeah. There was a lot of wild swings. And what I took from that was that Shin is still a fairly new apprentice, and that um, Sabine did seem better with the lightsaber than I think she was during Rebels, but she's still pretty mm-hmm. new with it. And especially because this isn't the dark saber, this is a, a different kind of saber. So I I, I loved all that. It's funny because to me, like I didn't see any of the trailers, so I, I, I it was totally new to me, but I did think it was awesome that, that she had that. What I think maybe frustrated me a bit, but I'm but but not in a bad way, more in a, like I want them to explore this more is because I think I, I love the point you made, Danielle, that we haven't seen a master-apprentice relationship between two women uh, or even just two people of any gender because in Star Wars there's lots of them when you get outside <laughs> humans. But um, to me, I, I agree with you. Ahsoka didn't get to have much development in Rebels except for the parts with Anakin, which is which is great, but it's still defining her by her childhood relationship with a, a mentor. And... To me, one of the most interesting parts of her story as an adult has been her changing relationship with the Jedi. And yeah. as Aaron said, she's not really a Jedi. And so and, – and one thing that's important is fairly recently we saw her be given the chance to train Grogu and firmly say, no, I don't want to do that. I can't do that because I'm not a Jedi. I was just thinking about that. 
to me, I, I think there's a way of squaring the circle of saying, like, she's not going to train Sabine as a Jedi, unless she just call her Padawan, which then was a little weird. I, I guess where I'm going with this is, <clears throat> I love the idea that they established that. It seemed like they focused mostly on Sabine deciding she was ready, mm-hmm. which was cool. But I would have actually really liked to see maybe another episode or two, or just even in this episode, more about you know it, how, what what's the what's the line between her trying to train Sabine, her refusing not refusing but declining the chance to train Grogu, and now accepting Sabine again? Because to me, there's a lot of real growth there in her that I just don't I don't I'm worried that they're just saying that they're hand waving that story. I'm hoping we'll get more of it in the background. See, I actually I actually think that finding out that before she said no to Grogu she had been training Sabine and she <clears throat> walked away. And mm-hmm. I, well, I do hope that we get some of that background and I think we will, um, between yeah. her and Sabine, um, the, her walking away from Sabine adds for me a lot more context to her saying no to training Grogu because in Very her mind, so. she's already failed. And yeah. maybe when she did try and train Sabine in the beginning, she did approach it as more of like a Jedi thing and more of a, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to do this the way that I was taught. I'm going to, you know, Mm -hmm. do it by the book because that's all that I know. And it didn't work. And so then she's like, well, I'm, that's because I'm not a Jedi. So I can't train anybody. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I do think that what we've seen so far in these, in these first two episodes with Ahsoka is that she, she has a lot of, obviously baggage that she still needs to unpack when it comes to um, everything that she went through and whether or not she does view herself as a Jedi truly and not just in the terms of I'm not a Jedi because I I left the order. Um, How she, how she wants to train someone, how she wants, what, what kind of things she wants to impart on someone. And in these two episodes, I saw her struggle with that and I saw her push it aside and say, well, Sabine, like you said, well, Sabine needs to be the one to choose. And I think eventually, or I hope eventually in the, in the series and the rest of the episodes, we'll see her realize that she also needs to choose. She needs to choose, um, what is best for her and what is best for how she views these things. Mm -hmm. And if that's a, a combination of what she was taught and what she's come to learn, which I think it will be, then that's perfectly fine too. And, um, but I don't, I don't see it as a, like that chat that's now closed. We can move on. I I see it as a, she's going to have to learn that she also needs to trust and she also needs to, to open up and, and be honest. And I hope that we see that. Mm -hmm. Kind of back to what we were saying about like the force and Sabine's connection or lack thereof. And also Ahsoka's refusal to train Grogu. It kind of, to me, I wonder like, oh, Maybe, like you said, she kind of tried to train Sabine and felt like she failed, but this was someone who wasn't even connected to the Force. And then she meets someone so young with this huge connection, yeah. and she's like, that's volatile. I can't be around that. Like, yeah. that reminds me too much of Anakin. Yeah, it could go exactly. so bad. And so maybe that's why it was such a firm no, and then in a few years we see her more open to another Padawan, because that Padawan isn't the same level of kind of like, quote, quote, strength or power as yeah. like Anakin or Grogu. I think if the question for her is, am I able to train this person, all of that makes sense. And I totally agree with that. I very much agree that the knowing that she tried to f- train Sabine and it didn't go well gives more context. I guess for me, and this may be just like a hint of a story that we were given that now they've moved away from that I just need to let go of. 
But I've always really loved the idea. To me, the defining moment of Ahsoka, or at least one of them, is the I am no Jedi moment. And what I took from her thing with Grogu is that she didn't want to train him to be a Jedi because she's not a Jedi and she doesn't want to be. And I, so for me, like, I definitely hear what y'all are saying. I think I have a little sadness just because I I would have liked it more being more about, like, what is a Force user like that's not a Jedi? And and she doesn't want to train Grogu because he wants to be a Jedi or that that's what they know. Uh, and that maybe she was going to train Sabine in some, like, different way that's not about being a jedi um and then so then the first word being padawan was like okay well that's that's out the window but yeah. we'll see you know I, I think there's certainly a lot to go on and i i know that filoni loves this character so much that i, I think we're going to get it explored yeah. yeah and i feel like sorry oh. go ahead oh i was just gonna say that i don't what i'm what i meant earlier by like a combination of the both is that like i feel like a lot of times we we want ahsoka to choose one or the other and that's like the option was taken from her. She mm. didn't she didn't get the chance to decide if she wanted to go back. She didn't get the chance to, you know, give Yoda that that final answer when he said when he asked if she was just a citizen. And you could see that she was thinking about it in season 7 of the Clone Wars that she was thinking mm-hmm. about, am I going to return? Am I going yeah. am I okay now? Am I okay to come back to this place? Am I settled? And she never got that opportunity. So I'm hesitant to say that she doesn't She's not a Jedi. She doesn't want to be a Jedi because we've never been told whether she wants to or not. I think she's viewed it as she lost her opportunity. And mm-hmm. what's the point anymore? Is there mm-hmm. a point? And there's a, a struggle in her to to figure out if there is a point. And um, and so that that's how I viewed this is that like maybe she's she's a Jedi. She's not a Jedi. She's she's both. And yeah. how does how does she deal with being both? She still firmly believes in Jedi tenements in in a lot of yeah. Jedi tenements. That's how she leads her life, and and so it's it's never been like I, I've never been satisfied by saying she's not a Jedi, um, mm-hmm. just because she doesn't call herself one. If that makes yeah. sense, yeah. like yeah, I That's see it more as a point. combination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and certainly. Her her voice is one of the ones that Ray hears mm-hmm. when they're telling Ray that she is all the Jedi. So yeah. I think that that's often pointed to as a at some point in Ahsoka's journey she becomes a Jedi again, or just that she's always had a part of her this Jedi. So yeah, I think that's mm-hmm. all very valid. Mm-hmm. That raises another question, and again, we don't know what's gonna happen in later episodes. This isn't about predicting it, it's more just about kind of how we feel about these stories. Now we have Ahsoka exploring the idea of what it means to train someone and is she a Jedi? Is she not? We also have dark side force users running around causing havoc. Are we going to see Luke at some point this episode? This this show? Kind of hope not because I'm not a fan of them using the deep fake technology. (laughs) Yeah. But it would be cool. It would be cool to see him again, but you know what? It would be cool, but it would be tried. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to see not using deep fake technology. Is Leia? <laughs> hmm. But um, you mean because her daughter can play her? I, I think I think she could. Whether or not she wants to is another question. Um, right. But um, Leia, or I, I feel like we have to have another kind of like firmer tie to the sequel trilogy because they've made it very yeah. clear that like this is obviously a part of it. Um, and 
and so I have, <laughs> I made a little bingo card for myself and I have a, <laughs> I have just for fun, just for fun and to throw out some wild ideas. And one of them was like, okay, how do they connect a little bit more firmly, but still like, you know, casual enough to where it's not mm-hmm. like super in your face. And I was like, Poe Dameron's parents, because they fought in the battle of Indoor. <laughs> I would yeah. like to see them. I would like to see them yeah. with Hera. <laughs> Which, by the way, fun tie-in. If we see his parents, we might do that by going back to Yavin. Mm. Because this is not the ever mentioned on screen, but it comes up in the books and the story behind it is great. Um, Oscar Isaac is Guatemalan. Yeah. And originally the, the shots of Yavin 4, like all those jungle scenes in the original movie A New Hope, were shot in Guatemala. So when he became part of the Star Wars, you know, story, one of his requests was, can my parents be from Yavin? Yeah. So that would That's just be cool. a cool I didn't way know to that. kind of, Yeah. Yeah. I love that story. So that would be kind of fun. Yeah. I think I'm with you. I, I story like, and, and here's the thing with all these kind of things is there's a question between what I think makes sense in the story versus what I think can actually be done on screen. Yeah. Because on some level to me, what we are seeing is so incredibly connected to everything else that's going on that, of course, they should be storytelling-wise, connections all over the place. Mm. We've got a Mandalorian who is excited about being a Mandalorian as part of her journey to become a Force user. Mm-hmm. Th- that's a story I seem to have heard about quite a lot. <laughs> um, you know, all this stuff about Ahsoka, like, I think they're – Luke is ba- – I mean, Luke was never officially made a Jedi Knight by anyone. Mm. Um, everyone was dead. Uh I think there could be a great story about, yeah, maybe Ahsoka and Luke talking about what would it mean to rebuild the Jedi, but learning some of the lessons. And that could, I think, could be a big part of what you're talking about, Danielle, of her being a Jedi again, but because Luke is making it a new way and she can help influence that. Um, So maybe I just need a whole bunch of books to come out that are like, you know, uh, Sabine and Grogu hanging out and Ahsoka (laughs) and Luke hanging out. Because you're right also, like, I don't... I don't really want Grogu to appear on screen. I think that would just take up so much of the the energy and the force of it. I'd love mm-hmm. maybe, you know, Din to show up for a little bit to talk to Sabine or something. But but storytelling wise, it's like, yeah, how is Luke Luke, Luke how is Luke not being like, oh, there's dark for, dark side force users running around. I should go do something about this. <laughs> he's 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 in teacher mode right now. Ahsoka is the enforcer mode. Um, okay. So <laughs> he's True. he's he's off building his little his little school. He doesn't he doesn't need any mm-hmm. distractions. So Ahsoka's like, don't yep. worry, I'm gonna take care of this. <laughs> so, do you guys know anything about this? other force user because there's Balin and there's Shin and then there's one of them that looks like a brother Marak like he yeah Marak I think he's, he's yeah he's an inquisitor um okay. I'm pretty sure he has to be because of the blade and yeah, the way the that blade he's dressed. and the mask yeah right. absolutely yeah I'm very intrigued by him I've seen lots of theories um mm-hmm. from people thinking that he could be Ezra to people thinking that obviously that he's not and just some other person. I've seen um, Barris thrown out, but that was before we I, knew that this is likely uh, probably going to be a, a man male playing character. him. Well, th- that was my question. I was going to say, do we know that's a man? Because Barris was my first thought. Well, they have they have in the articles about the show when they talk about this character, they have used um, male pronouns. He, him he pronouns. Him. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, but yeah, I'm so I'm really intrigued if he's like we learn in um, this isn't a spoiler I don't think for Rise of the Red Blade, but there are many more 
brothers and sisters than I originally thought there were. Um, so there's there's lots that we have not been introduced to. So I don't think it's yeah. um, it would be a surprise if he's just another random another inquisitor. One. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That alone is interesting because I've seen like, you know, the, the debates about Anakin are endless. But one of the arguments that I've seen is that there are so many inquisitors running around and that, you know, most of them are probably like young Jedi who were captured during the um, uh, Order Nine, Order 66. <laughs> I saw one person being like, no, no, no. Anakin didn't kill all those younglings. He just captured all of them and turned them all into Inquisitors. <laughs> it's so much better. <laughs> <laughs> Tortured them and uh, caused them pain beyond imagine. <laughs> yes. Right? Twisted their morals <laughs> and being... <laughs> Yeah, still Anakin still comes out pretty bad in that either way. But yeah, I think I think the fact that there were a lot of young like that there, I do think it's important that Anakin killed some younglings. That sounds like a horrible thing to quote out of context. No, I agree. But yeah. In terms of his moral, how far he fell. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As well, actually, and Obi Wan saw him kill them on the security tape. Yeah. But yeah, but and so did idea, Reva. Or Reva. So did right? who? Reva. Yeah. Oh yeah, Reva, you're right. Yeah. yeah. So the idea other people could have, but yeah. Um. So yeah, I guess he's some. Padawan of, of some sort. Um, he, I, I, I think I would... Go ahead. Sorry. I kind of like the idea, if you think back to, I want to say, season two of The Clone Wars, mm-hmm. and there's that arc where Mace Windu and Obi-Wan, the babies, Sidious <laughs> is trying to steal Force-sensitive babies. And it's like, okay, Sidious was on this years ago. Like, yeah. that program yeah. is still probably running. Of course, he's, like, at this point, dead, but, like... Yeah, by the time Vader got on the scene, Sidious is probably like, I got a backlog of 70 babies just waiting. (laughs) And Vader's like, cool, let's get to work. Like, that's how I kind of like to think of the Inquisitors, because it does make sense that some of them are obviously, like, have been hunted down and changed from Padawans to Inquisitors. But also, the Inquisitors' goal typically was to kill Jedi, not really capture them, was my understanding. Yeah, Yeah. it's a pin to... Um, I think that if Vader was there, well, well, you do see, like, I'm thinking about the Jedi games and you do see in Mm -hmm. there, um, the Inquisitors initially are like, you're stupid for following this. You could come and have power. And then once Mm -hmm. it's clear that Cal and Seer aren't going to do that, then they decide to kill them. Um, so I think it's like a mixture and it depends on, on who the Jedi is and, how much they would have been influenced by the order, how much mm-hmm. they're still being influenced by it. Um, because I know that there is a, I'm pretty sure there's a part in the comics, Darth Vader comics, where Vader seeks out a former Jedi um, master and then takes his child. And then that yeah. child presumably will be raised to be, um, to have some play in Palpatine's plans. Yeah. But yeah. And I think it's also important to note that, like, Sidious using some sort of means to figure out where Force-sensitive babies are are being born and going out to search for them, that's not something Sidious created. That's something that the Jedi had been doing under the Old Republic. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we can get in discussions about, like, you know, uh, presumably the Jedi were being a lot more – the parents had some degree of consent in whether or not the child was given over to the Jedi – um, but we know, you know Obi-Wan says, you know, he has no memory of his parents. He was raised as a baby. But, yeah, I, th- I think there's there's a lot of pipelines of that. I think I 
I like the story most that the most of the inquisitors, most of the inquisitors, were at least like cognitive, you know, at least like four or five years old, maybe older, or the equivalent within their own races, you know, chronology. By the time that Order sixty six happened, because from a lot of the inquisitors that we found, a lot of what turns them to the dark side is, you know, you're five or six or even nine or ten. You've been taken to the Jedi. You've been told that everything's going to be okay. You've been told your master's going to take care of you. And now all of that has fallen. And just Mm -hmm. the incredible fear or the resentment or the anger or the self-loathing, that that's what turns a lot of those kids to the dark side with the guidance of, you know, the others. So, but yeah, I think it's... I, I kind of want him to be a new story, but I think there's a lot of things that this new Inquisitor could be. Well, just to just to quickly add on there, um, if we learn a lot about the Inquisitors in Rise of the Red Blade, um, mm. the, in the last half of it, a lot about where most of them come from. Um, vaguely, just to be clear, that's is that a novel? Yes, that's a novel by Delilah S. Dawson, um, and there's so a lot of questions about that are kind of answered in there, and just to say that it's. It is mostly very few of them made the choice to join the Inquisitors. Let's just say that okay. the Makes active sense. choice to do it yeah. on their own. Yeah. Well, and when I talk about like a five-year-old's feelings of like anger and emotion being used to guide them down a path, like it, to me, that's not choosing. But no, yeah, I, yeah. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just, I just mean that um, there, there's lots of instances of like not, not when they're young, but older. The older ones who are taken into the Inquisitorious, um, mm, they. Okay they are tortured endlessly until they say yes and brainwashed and and everything like that yeah mm-hmm. well i will say um to you listeners it will just sound like the next hour but i'm going to hopefully have read that book by the time that uh the next episode comes out and um i think danielle has unfortunately just volunteered to do an episode of this podcast <laughs> about that too. book <laughs> so uh yeah hopefully we'll have that before all these come out um Aaron, what was your take on the, the the other two Force users we get who are – they never use the word Sith, but they do seem to have the master-apprentice relationship, uh, Balin and Shin? I don't know. I really – there's kind of those characters where so much is unknown. I'm kind of just keeping my mind open and ready to, like, learn more about them. Like, what is it about? Clearly, obviously, Balin wants power. He wants to be at the top. Again, like you said, they're not Sith. They don't have red lightsabers. They have kind of like an orange lightsaber. So clearly something is different. And yeah, I'm just very curious as to Balin's backstory. Was he a knight when he left? Was he a master? Did he already have this apprentice? I'm guessing not. She seems to be pretty new, like you were saying earlier, Danielle. But yeah, like, I think they're cool. I'm interested to see Balin actually, like, fight with a lightsaber versus someone with a lightsaber and not just like some new Republic guys with guns. Mm. Yeah. I am interested to see what his skill level actually is. Um, But yeah, I'm actually, honestly, I'm more intrigued by the Inquisitor. Like, Mm. I think they're two really great characters that we're going to learn more about and like get excited about. I think Shin, I'm obsessed with her makeup. Just saying (laughs) they did a wonderful job of making her look scary. Um, but yeah, so I'm like curious, but I don't have a ton of expectations or hopes for them, I guess. I, I, I do need to ask, and we'll get back to the main topic, but when I saw her facial structure and her hair, did is Lady Tano Creates ever going to become <laughs> Lady Shin? You'd look great as her. Wow. I, I'm just saying, like, you don't have to do four hours of makeup. <laughs> oh my God, no, I would love that. 
I would love that. I'd need some time because her outfit itself is very intricate, lots of layers and textures. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I would love that because I've been wanting to do a dark character at some point. I've always kind of played with the idea of Ventress, but again, that would be a lot of body paint, Mm -hmm. which I'm not afraid of. But yeah, something that's a little easier to put on and off that's still like super cool. I would love to cosplay Shen. That'd be so fun. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah. I would love to see that. Anyway, the back to it, though. So, Danielle, what would you think of these, these new characters? Do you know what their entrance reminded me of? What's Obi-Wan that? and Qui-Gon's in the Phantom Menace. <gasps> yeah. 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 That's very it, true. Like a, like a dark foil to theirs, mm-hmm. um, which I loved. And it makes me think, is this um, foreshadowing for Valen's eventual uh, fate? Fall. <laughs> mm. and yeah, it, which. And, yeah, yeah. It's interesting you saw that because what I saw was when they had Balin walking down a hallway kicking butt, I was like, oh, okay. You remember you, – you decided to remake the most popular scene from Rogue One. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I really I'm, – I'm intrigued by it. Now, Huang did say that the only lightsaber he recognized that he remembered was uh, Balin's. And obviously, rem- right. memory. He, he knows if he would have seen the other lightsaber or not. Yeah. Yeah. So Shen either – was a part of the order and when order 66 happened was too young to have gotten to have made her lightsaber to gone to ilum and get her crystal um Mm -hmm. or balin found her after order 66 and just took her on as his apprentice either way i am intrigued by the potentials for that story um and it they've said that he's a, a mercenary so it's a light, I'm assuming a, a saber for hire who has just lost his mm-hmm. um, original Jedi Order morals and uh, decided to go a different path for whatever reason. And I'm excited to learn more about both of them. Yeah. Um, one thing to bring up. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a little moment that I really appreciated, kind of a callback to season seven of The Clone Wars when... Huang asks, how did you get her to tell you the truth? Like, how do you know that Elsbeth told you the truth? Mm-hmm. And she said, well, let's just say I didn't follow standard Jedi protocols. Yeah. And I yeah. was like, yes, amen, Ahsoka. <laughs> so glad you're still the same. Yeah. Like, there's that Anakin. I knew it was still there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that's, that, there's definitely one of those moments that was like, this is not just a standard Jedi situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's part of, I think, also why I do hope that the Again, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be name-dropped, but that the memory of uh, Kanan is invoked in some way. Because I think Kanan was, by many definitions, a very good Jedi, and by many definitions, absolutely terrible one. I mean, he had attachments at the wazoo. He had emotions that he was living into quite a lot. And, like, I I always saw him and, and uh, her as both kind of exploring areas outside of what, you know, uh, Yoda would have... Uh, or especially Mace Windu might have approved of. So yeah, I, well, I love that moment. I actually think that even taking into account all of the Jedi tenements, that Kanan was the most successful at all of them because he mm-hmm. loved without becoming attached in the way with the description of attachment that the Jedi Order had, which I find mm-hmm. gets misconstrued a lot, is that mm-hmm. to not... At- attach yourself to someone does not mean to not love someone and to not um, feel for them and to not, you know, ultimately try to get them back the way Kanan does. Kanan does all of these things in 
a very Jedi-like manner, he accepts what he's able to do, and he accepts what he's not able to do. And that is the core of the Jedi Order, is what it is meant. Yeah. And what has happened in the prequel trilogy is that we see them take these tenements and make them into, and, and maybe, like, make them a little stricter than they were meant to be and um, mm-hmm. and everything. And so I think that in every way, Kanan is the best Jedi. Um, yeah. Because he is directly following the tenements the way they were meant to be followed. And um, the problem, and, and how I can see why they got to the way they were in the prequels, is that not everybody can do what Kanan was able to do. And, yeah. um, and so, like, how do you prevent someone who falls in love with a person like Hera the way that Kanan does and is unable to yeah. detach themselves? in the way that is needed to be a Jedi and to have that much power, then you tell them that it's ill-advised to do that because they won't be able to control themselves, ultimately. Now, is that the best course of option to do? Probably not. (laughs) And we see the result of that. Um, But but I do think Mm -hmm. that that along the way, the idea of like attachments, meaning that no one's allowed to love, no one's allowed to feel romantic love has been a bit misconstrued the Mm -hmm. same way that the Order arguably misconstrued it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great point. That, that's kind of what I meant about like you know he's a great Jedi in the eyes of everyone except like Mace Window or Yoda, you know, and that mm-hmm. and it it it's to me that's always been one of my favorite parts of the story because it's it's very true. Like we see in religions or in other groups again and again, you'll have laws that are kind of like general vague ideas that eventually get you know where it becomes much more about the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law. You know, I'm gonna like, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, this is what happens when you have me on here. I'm gonna defend my no, boy. I'm gonna defend my boy Mace Windu really quickly, uh, because I think I think that if he saw the way that Kanan was, he mm-hmm. would he would also say that he was the perfect example of a Jedi, um, because I don't think that Mace Windu was so much concerned with with the the how as the fear of the of the why, and and the I think Mace Windu did have a lot of fear of what too much love could do to a person or too much, mm-hmm. too much of, 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 you know, feelings outside of that, that could do to a person. But I don't think that he, that he would look at Kanan's life and say that he wasn't, that he didn't do exactly what he needed to do. Kanan taught the, or Mace taught the person who taught Kanan. And, mm-hmm. and so I, yeah, I think that there's something to be said about that, about um, Depa Bilba, learning teach passing on to Kanan everything that she learned from Mace and and there has to be something there that would lead to Mace looking at Kanan's life in the end and saying right. that is who that is what a Jedi is I I think that's fair and maybe I'm I'm singling at Mace like I I do think it's important that during the old Repu- during the you know last day of the republic the clone wars like both Anakin and even Obi-Wan they, they have been taught you can't be it all like there is no possibility of the romantic attach romantic love without that attachment and we see you know that in both clone wars and in uh so, so somewhere that you're, yeah I, I i think we're agreeing and i think i was just wrong to use mace windu as the example of that um yeah sorry i get i get very defensive of it no that's fair I, I think because he's portrayed as the most like legalistic that's where i go there yeah but like yeah that might be fair but certainly i mean yeah like you know obi-wan and anakin both have very much that idea of like you know, because you don't want to get to step five on that road because it's so difficult, you just never take step one on that road. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So going back to Balin, actually, I don't know if mm. you guys noticed or looked it up, but at the end of the first episode, it says for our friend Ray. Yeah. Yeah. R.I.P. And yeah. so Ray Stevenson is the man who played Balin, and he mm. passed away this May, and I didn't know mm. that. So that yeah, I had a little cry at the end of the first episode that yeah. he never got to see how people yeah. would react to this. And it it's very sad because he was at celebration. And oh. yeah, and he he was wonderful. I got to I got to see him. He was absolutely wonderful on the panel, and his his death was a very big surprise to everybody. Yeah. Um, and that's just incredibly sad. He's a brilliant actor, and he's portrayed Balin brilliantly so far. And I'm really excited mm-hmm. to see what else he was he brought to the table. Yeah. yeah. No, it's definitely a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, cause it, it also like you know. We're recording this when the strike – you're going to hear this when the strike is over and which I'm very glad about. But honestly, I was watching the whole thing and I was getting just so angry again at the studios because of the strike. Because yeah. to me, like, I, I'm so sad he passed away at all. But when you said May, I was very glad because to me, one of the worst things would be, like, I have to imagine all these actors want to talk about this yeah. and want to, you know, talk with the fans. And they're not doing so because they're respecting the strike, which is awesome. And just God forbid another of them, you know, were to pass mm-hmm. away not having done that. Um, again, we're it's retroactive now, but I really hope the studios pay up uh, and do the right thing. Uh, talking about his character, though, also, I, I really – I'm really enjoying where they're going with it, especially because – and, you know, clearly we're going to get Thrawn. And Thrawn's an interesting character because some of what we know about Thrawn comes in the current canon. Some of it comes in the extended universe canon. But in the extended universe canon, although also some in um, the, the now Disney canon, and I imagine uh, there's a certain discussion of Thrawn and Anakin that Danielle might have some thoughts on. But <laughs> one of the things that we see a lot in that is that Thrawn rec- Thrawn's opinion is that the Empire needs Force users, but that the Empire was destroyed by letting it be run by Force users. Mm-hmm. And that he has an idea of he wants he wants to have Force users that he can control as part of his imperial hierarchy, but to very much keep civilian leadership or military leadership, but not force-driven leadership at the top. And uh, and as I mentioned then in a more you know Disney canon novel, we do have some wonderful interactions between Thrawn and Anakin and then later Thrawn and Darth Vader. And I think he's one of the only people who knows that they, they, they were the same person, sort of. Um, and... So I'm really curious – the point of all this is I'm really curious to see what the power dynamic is going to be between Balin and uh, Thrawn, mm-hmm. especially because mm-hmm. Balin is – you know he's telling Shin when, when Thrawn comes here, you'll have power beyond what you can imagine. It seems like Balin is pretty happy to kind of be like Darth Vader to Thrawn, mm-hmm. but he's also so power hungry and he's on the dark side. I don't know how that's going to last. And so I'm, I'm wondering if that was something you guys were, were thinking about at all because – Knowing that from the, the those earlier books, I'm really curious to see what that power relationship will be. Yeah, I think the most interesting thing to me about Thrawn when it comes to the Empire and power is that Thrawn is very much based on how to make something work, on how on how to on how to how to be the most efficient and most um, mm-hmm. kind of strategic about something that he is in charge of, and um, he's not so much focused on who is on the other side as he is on, okay, this is my opponent. This is essentially a game of chess. How am I going to win? And, um, and so I think that's, that's really interesting coming into an era where 
he has no really beef with the New Republic. Uh, he, by his admission, has no direct loyalty to the Empire anymore now that the Emperor, who he made his promise to, is dead. So what are Thrawn's options here? Like, what is he going to do? And this is why I think that if there's a connection between, a, a stronger connection between the Ahsoka series and the Mandalorian series, where the pirates come into big play, because people who have read the Ascendancy trilogy know that um, the groups, the various groups that were uh, going up against the Chiz Ascendancy were primarily Thrawn's reasons for leaving and going to the Empire and trying to build up power against the people who were threatening the Chiz Ascendancy. And and so I'm intrigued. I'm just intrigued to see how that works out and how Balin, like you said, is going to play into that because I think it's interesting that you said Balin is, it seems like he's uh, willing to be kind of like, you know, for lack of a better term, Darth Vader to, to Thrawn's emperor. Um, but I find that he is he's more questioning than Vader was. Vader was pure, mm. like, for a long time, like, lapdog to the Emperor yeah. and uh, at his, like, at every whim. And Balin seems to be a bit more like, I have my own thoughts. I have my own experience. You can tell me what to do, but I'm going to add my own, like, little flair to it. I'm going to add my own experience to this, and I'm going to say what I want to say. And at least with Morgan. So I don't know. There might be kind of a... There will either be a heavy clash between the two of them or there will be a lot of respect, mutual respect between the two of them. Mm. In my opinion. Yeah, and it's interesting you brought up Morgan because I kind of forgot about that, but there's definitely tension between her and Balin. Yeah. Like working towards the same goal for different reasons is how it feels. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll admit, I really like that because I, I in general don't like the I like the idea of fracture. I like the idea of everyone wants something like the Empire back, but they don't all agree, and there is some infighting. And so, what I absolutely don't want is to find out that all of these people are in the end working for the early version of Snoke, which is the early version of Palpatine. You know, coming back like any mm -hmm. of that, and so. Yeah, I really do like the idea that it's different people with different agendas. And we yeah. certainly have seen that a lot in the, the Aftermath books and some of the stuff like that. What was it that Ahsoka said? It's not loyalty, it's greed. Yeah. I think that fits in well with that as well. Yeah. Absolutely. The other thing I'll say about the two of them, uh, have either of you read the Darth Bane novels? Not yet, no. no. They are fascinating for Sith history. They are, um, if you care about silly little things like women characters having any agency whatsoever <laughs> they're not so good oh, um God. they're they're really like they're they're some of the books that make me be like when i read like some of the women authors in star wars now i'm like oh what a breath of fresh air but for sith history they're phenomenal and sith philosophy but in them darth bane the founder of the modern sith and the rule of two uh, his first um apprentice is named darth zana when I saw Shin on screen, I was like, are they going to call her Zana? Because she looks and acts very much like the character in those books. Um, and so it, it might be totally new. Uh, and obviously she has a different name. But I, I, I am curious, again, after the strike, in a, in a Filoni interview, is he ever going to mention, like, yeah, maybe a little bit of Darth Zana was appearing <laughs> on screen in that. Yeah. Erin, uh, I know you need to go soon, and then we're going to wrap up and go into a Patreon section where I'm going to uh, talk to Danielle about books and more. Uh, but Erin, what are the last things do you want to bring up before you have to go? 
Yeah, I really loved the inclusion of Senator Jai Kel. Yes, yeah. I have that in my notes oh, too. <laughs> I was so excited because Jai, you know, he was in the, I don't know what it's called, the Academy maybe? Mm-hmm. Is that what they yeah. called it? Imperial yeah. Academy? When Ezra went undercover and he was one of the ones who kind of helped him escape. Mm-hmm. So there's actually also some books about Jai, like... Mm-hmm. children's books very children's books that i read when i was a little bit more of a child but still too old to read them um so i've always really enjoyed his character i was just happy to see that and it was just very jai of him to be like mm-hmm. you go speak and jai's like what no uh <laughs> yeah i just liked ready. that little moment <laughs> yeah i really loved i really loved that he and governor azadi got to have their little moment yeah mm-hmm. um I liked Home One, seeing that again. And I also liked seeing Home One and all of the uh, new, like, Republic people on it. Wait a minute. Is Admiral Akbar dead? Yeah. Admiral Akbar doesn't die for another uh, 25 years okay. or so. Yeah. Okay. Because I was about to be like, am I stupid? No. Okay. <laughs> so he is still alive. I liked seeing Home One, but not having the need to include Akbar. Because it's like, yeah. yeah, it's a huge ship. Maybe he's not always on it. Like, there's other important people there. Yeah. So, I don't know. I thought it was kind of cool. It's like, oh, home one, you just landed. Here's General Syndulla. Yeah. Like, yeah. I liked that being the point of contact. That was kind of nice. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, last little thing that I really noticed and appreciated. When Sabine's messing around with that... um Oh, I wanted it to be a holocron also. That I map, I really wanted it to be holocron and it wasn't. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Um, but yeah, when Sabine was playing with it, I noticed she has nail polish on and it's all chipped and messed up. And I was like, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Like, of course, she. no one in this universe should have perfect nail polish. <laughs> yeah. And nobody has chipped nail polish so far. <laughs> and what am I supposed to assume it's part of their species? Like, so I just liked that. It was just a cute little inclusion of like, yeah. Still normal people. Like, yep. it's Star Wars, but they don't have supersonic nail polish. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of makeup scenes that I see sometimes where it's like, hmm, you just went through like 10 days of living rough, uh, but your eye, your, but your eyeshadow is still flawless. <laughs> yeah. Curious. Uh, and I, I have to imagine Aaron as our cl- uh, Clone Wars lover, uh, David Tennant coming back had to have made you happy. Yes. I was like, oh. I was just excited. I feel like, obviously, you know, he was in the Clone Wars, but he was just kind of one of those characters we didn't learn too much about. He was always there to be helpful. So Mm -hmm. I really like that he's connected with Ahsoka. And I don't know if we know how they got connected, but I'm curious about it. And I love that she, in a period when, you know, Sabine asked, where's your home? She's like, the ship is good enough. She's in a very isolated period of her life. She has nobody else she cares about or needs to take care of. It's just her in this ship. Yeah. And I like that she did find someone from her past to kind of connect to. Someone who maybe felt safe, that she's known for a long time. And that I thought was a great callback because, I may be misremembering this, but I'm fairly certain, we one of the arcs where we get to know him the best is when the Ahsoka and him are taking a bunch of younglings to help, like, get the mm-hmm. parts of their new lightsabers mm-hmm. and then wind up being, you know, captured. Like, they, they go on a whole set of adventures yeah. and he clearly, like, the two of them have to learn to respect each other and, and to honor each other. And so, yeah, it was really, that that it wasn't just, like, taking two random characters. It was two characters who had an established relationship and, yeah. and bringing it forward. Yeah. It was going, calling back to that connection Filoni built years ago. 
Yep. I was yep. I was surprised because um, the trailer kind of made it seem like he would be in it for, you know, a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, yep. and it really seems like he's he's like a firm like secondary character in the series, and I love I'm that. Excited. I really love that. Da- yeah. David Tennant's name is in the credits, mm-hmm. so in the main credits at the start. So the credits are also well, amazing, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. Absolutely. Really, really, good. really cool. Well, there's so much more we're going to say about this, and Erin uh, and I are going to be uh, taking you through all the episodes. I know, Danielle, we have signed up for at least one other episode. Uh, a number of other uh, return guests are going to be coming on uh, to join Erin and I, uh, and I'll say more about that in a second, but um, uh, and we will have a Patreon section. Where we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some books and some other characters who we might want to see a, uh, pop up, but first, uh, Danielle, where can people find you and the other stuff you're doing? Uh, so I'm on TikTok, at Written in the Star Wars. I... I guess by now uh, the strike will be over and I'll be back to talking about my usual stuff. Um, But I also talk about The Last of Us and uh, book recommendations, general books, not just Star Wars. And I'm on Twitter at DannyS394 and Instagram at written in the SW. Yeah, definitely check out Danielle's stuff. Um, I'm a little low-key mad at Danielle because I had mostly quit. I went on TikTok, thought it was a bunch of fun people doing dances, wasn't really that interested. And then I found Danielle's Star Wars Twitters. And that was a big part of what sucked me back in and now takes up an hour of my life every day. But her her Twitters about – sorry, her TikToks uh, about um, – by the time this episode ends, Twitter might be finally full and dead and all in blue sky or whatever it is. Uh, but yeah, definitely check that out. And another person who is phenomenal on TikTok, Erin uh, McGowan. Talk about what you're doing. Yeah, so I'm Lady Tano Creates, all one word, um, and I do mostly cosplay stuff online. I'm on Instagram and TikTok. Instagram, I will post some big updates as far as what I'm working on, as well as I mostly post like photos from photo shoots or cons that I've been to on there. And then on TikTok is where I actually get into the creating of it all. At some point, maybe I'll have the energy to combine the two and post more on Instagram about what I'm actually doing, but... For now, I typically will just film, oh, this is what I'm working on. Here's some montage of me doing it in triple speed. Here's me explaining how I failed, and now I have to restart it. (laughs) And that's the video. So many videos, I'm like, well, I tried, so come back in a couple weeks for a different video because this was a fail. (laughs) Yep, yep. But it's a lot of fun. It was awesome. I I really... It's amazing when people do their finished product, but I do love how much you're willing to be like, hey, no, here's something I tried. It didn't work. Here's another thing I'm trying to do. And (laughs) I've just learned so much about the process. I'll also say that um, it'll now be a couple – well, I hope it's only three days from now uh, (laughs) when we start releasing these, but maybe it'll be a couple weeks from months. Um, But we did an episode with Aaron on cosplay uh, earlier on this podcast. You should definitely check it out. Really great introduction to the topic. And I'll say also – By the time these come out, hopefully this will be well understood, but this is a True Story FM podcast, and one of the things I'm glad about that is if you go to our website, you can either go to True Story FM and then search, and it's truestory.fm, not like truestoryfm.com, but if you go to there and then click on Star Wars Universe Podcast and pull up this episode, uh, and it'll list the different guests. If you click on either Aaron or Danielle's name, you'll find all the different topics that they're on, because they've both been on for a bunch of different things. Uh, Danielle was recently on for The Hunger Games, and has done a bunch of the novels, uh, done a bunch of other stuff. Aaron's been on for a lot of great stuff. Check all that out. And of course, there you'll also find, and in the show notes, all the ways to contact us. We love hearing your feedback. Um, probably won't get much of it, because we're you know doing this late, but um, I'm going to hopefully maybe get get some feedback uh, that we can read during these episodes. But uh, for feedback, all the things, give us feedback. And also there you find information about how to become a member. 
Uh, basically, it's like Patreon, but we shifted over to a membership platform. It just means that Patreon.com isn't getting more of my money. Um, but uh, for $5 a month, you get ad-free content and you get bonus content. And we're going to soon be having live streams that you can do uh, that you can also get as members. Uh, you also can um, uh, sign it up for $55 for a year. So you can save a little bit that way. So please think about becoming a member. Please think about uh, contacting us, looking at all these great things. We're going to have more in the Patreon section. But for now, we have spoken. 10 seconds break here for music. And Aaron, do you want to answer like the first one or two Patreon questions or do you want to get going right now? 